Today is Thursday, February the 15th. It is the Feast of St. Claude de la Colombière and Thursday after Ash Wednesday. Let's begin this hour praying part of Psalm 143. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, listen to my prayer. Turn your ear to my appeal. You are faithful. You are just. Give answer. Do not call your servant to judgment, for no one is just in your sight. The enemy pursues my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead long forgotten. Therefore, my spirit fails. My heart is numb within me. I remember the days that are past. I ponder all your works. I muse on what your hand has wrought. And to you, I stretch out my hands. Like a parched land, my soul thirsts for you. Lord, make haste and answer, for my spirit fails within me. Do not hide your face lest I become like those in the grave. In the morning, let me know your love, for I put my trust in you. Make me know the way I should walk. To you, I lift up my soul. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good way to start the day after Ash Wednesday, right? As we begin this Lenten journey. Good morning and welcome to this Thursday edition of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Anna Mitchell coming to you from the studios of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Matt Swaim is sick this morning. Please say a quick prayer for his recovery, if you will. And Paul Lockman at the controls for us. Travis Smith has a video feed up and running. He's adjusting my lighting as we speak. Can you see a shadow in the background? <laughs> Thanks, Travis. And up this hour, we have an excellent show for you today. Mike Aquilina will join us from FathersOfTheChurch.com talking about St. Cyril of Jerusalem and uh, how Lent is a season of confession. Brendan Hodge will join us from the Darwin Catholic blog and The Pillar to talk about Catholic schools and state funding. We'll catch up with Father Robert Nixon, continuing our series on St. Albert the Great's thoughts on the virtues. Today, we'll talk about the virtue of Concord, and then we'll wrap things up for this hour with our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, and he's going to be talking about what Sigmund Freud can say to us about Lent. Hmm. Can't wait to hear what he has to say. Right now, it's three minutes past, and it's time for news. One person is dead, and more than 20 have been injured after a shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade yesterday. Kansas City's Mayor Quentin Lucas said that incidents like this are why the topic of gun control is such a huge issue nationally. Police Chief Stacy Graves added three suspects have been detained and that firearms were recovered. Graves said they are reviewing video of several parade goers who tackled a suspect to determine if one of the detainees was not a good Samaritan. The mayor of Kansas City said the White House called to offer any help. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity to pray for peace. 
From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. As Lent begins, let us prepare to journey through this time as an opportunity for conversion and inner renewal, Pope Francis says, calling it an opportunity to listen to the Word of God and care for our needy brothers and sisters who are in great need. With this thought, Pope Francis began his latest appeal for closeness to all those suffering from wars. Here, let us never forget the tormented Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel. Who suffer so much, he said. Ukraine later this month will commemorate the two-year anniversary of the start of the war since Russia's invasion in February 2022 as the killings and bombardments continue. Let us pray. Pope Francis appealed for these brothers and sisters who suffer from war. The Pope invited everyone to pursue conversion and actively care for those suffering, those in war zones, and those who have been forced to flee. Let us continue our help and intensify prayer, he said, especially those prayers to request the gift of peace in the world. Also in the Holy Father's remarks to Polish pilgrims, Pope Francis thanked Polish faithful who organized or are participating in a fundraiser in all Polish churches today, the first day of Lent, to help Ukraine. Since February 2022, over 15 million refugees from Ukraine have crossed through the Polish border. In the face of so many wars, Pope Francis said, let us not close our hearts to those in need. As he invited, may prayer, fasting, and almsgiving be the way to build peace. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues at the general audience yesterday, focusing on the sin of acedia, known as the noonday demon, because it, quote, grips us in the middle of the day when fatigue is at its peak and the hours ahead of us seem monotonous, impossible to bear. He said, despite the desire to be elsewhere, one must have the courage to remain and to welcome God's presence in the here and now, end quote. The House Intelligence Committee is warning about a, quote, serious national security threat. Various reports say the threat is related to emerging Russian space technology. Ohio Republican Mike Turner said his committee made information on the threat available to members of Congress. He requested that President Biden declassify the information relating to the threat so that Congress and allies can openly discuss actions necessary to respond. The judge overseeing the New York state civil fraud trial of the Trump organization, Donald Trump and his two sons, adult sons, will issue his verdict on damages this week. More from Mark Mayfield. NBC News is reporting that the decision will come from Judge Arthur Engron Friday. Engron has already ruled the company and the Trumps engaged in fraud. Neither party in the case requested a jury trial. The coming verdict will be about intent and damages. State Attorney General Letitia James wants $370 million and a ban on the company doing business in the state. The judge could order the former president's businesses to be dissolved. I'm Mark Mayfield. And Major League Baseball is making an effort to enforce one of its rules a little bit more this season. According to ESPN, the league intends to strictly enforce the obstruction rule around the bases, instructing umpires to be more diligent in calling the infraction. Obstruction is defined as the act of a fielder who, while not in possession of the ball and not in the act of fielding the ball, impedes the progress of any runner. Well, that's going to be an interesting one to enforce if he's standing there waiting for a ball to come 
I mean, I don't want to see injuries on the baseball field. So I guess I guess I'm in favor of this. I wish I had Matt here to comment, but maybe we'll get his comments later. Although he did record this next conversation to share with us. So you do get to hear from Matt today. Today is Thursday, February the 15th. It is the Feast of St. Claude de la Colombière, the spiritual director of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. And he's got, whoa, an intense story himself, which we'll talk about a little later this hour. Right now, it's eight past. Matt? From fathersofthechurch.com, we're joined now by Mike Aquilina to look at the Church Fathers and Lent. One uh, one Church Father in particular we're going to look at today. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. All right, so Lent is a time of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. It's also a time of repentance. And uh, you've got some thoughts from St. Cyril of Jerusalem to share with us today. I wonder what those are. Yeah, I was talking to Annie last week, and she asked me what was my, my favorite line from the Fathers about Lent. And, uh, and, and it does. It, it comes from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. He gave a series of catechetical lectures uh, back in the middle of the 300s. And, uh, and we still use those today because they're so valuable. They're so beautiful. They're so poetic. He was preaching mostly to, uh, to, to people who wanted to come into the church that Easter. So he was giving them the basic doctrine, but he did it in such a stunning way. And uh, in the first of the lectures, he's talking about the, the context of these lessons in the church calendar because he's delivering them during Lent. This is an important thing. This is an important season. You could see that even in the fourth century, Lent was important to Catholics. It's it's culturally important today. You know, we all we all like to go around and <clears throat> get our ashes and, and, and walk around with ashes on our forehead all day. It's a sign of our of our Catholic faith. And and it was a big thing to Catholics back then. Too. So he has this line in his first catechetical lecture where he's trying to situate all the lessons that will follow. And he says, now is the season of confession. Got that? Now is the season of confession. Confess what you have done in word or in deed, by night or by day. Confess in an acceptable time. And in the day of salvation, receive the heavenly treasure. So he's talking about, you know, your life. And then your afterlife, the heavenly treasure. But he's also talking about Lent and what comes after Easter, when so many people will be received into the church, will have the Easter sacraments. That's the heavenly treasure come to earth. But you can even look at it in terms of every single communion that you that you receive, because there's a period of fasting, and then there's that brief period of feasting on the Lord. So this is this is a big moment. This is a big uh, a, a big idea. Now is the season of confession. Confess what you have done in word or in deed. I mean that's even built into the mass, right? Uh we don't yeah. it's kind of shockingly built into the mass. There is the uh a kind of like, hey, we're so glad you're all here part, right? The uh the we begin in the sign of the cross and like straight out of the gates it's like we don't belong here. All right? <laughs> we have uh, <laughs> sinned in thoughts and words, uh, you know, right? And what have, what we've done, what we've failed to do, and we're asking yeah. God for forgiveness for that. We're asking all the angels and saints for forgiveness for that. We're asking our brothers and sisters who are there with us for that. You know, as I think about how Ash Wednesday kicks off with the reading from Joel, it says, proclaim a fast, proclaim repentance to the whole community, right? And yeah. uh, this is kind of what we do in Mass at the acceptable time, as it were. 
Yeah, and what he says twice in that first sentence, you know, it's a season of confession. Confess. Make that uh, make make the opportunity to, to have at least one good confession during Lent, right? Uh, or maybe more. Uh, the the church, the church, you know, requires us to make a confession once a year, but the church has always urged us to frequent the sacraments, frequent the sacraments. And there are only two sacraments that you can receive frequently. There's confession and there's Holy Communion. Those are the two sacraments that you can receive frequently. This is divine life that's being dispensed to you by the church from heaven. And why wouldn't you go more often? Uh, so at least once during this, during this Lent, we should make a good confession. Just clear the decks. Start over in life. Begin again. Well, going back to the idea that this is happening, St. Cyril is addressing people during Lent because Lent is something that's been going on uh, for a little while, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And he is doing uh, a parish mission on it, right, as it were. I mean, he's doing yeah. uh, 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 something that, that Christians would have would have known every year is something that you do. And I think right. that's important for us to to remember that Lent has been part of the church from very early on. It's not something that was invented in the Middle Ages or something. No. And it was always, no. uh, you know, not meant to just be off by itself as some, like, season. It, it leads to something, right? It leads to the great feast yes. of Easter, and it was from counting back from Easter that we got Lent in the first place. That's right. There, in the earlier, earliest church calendars, there, were, there was always a period of preparation before a great feast day. There's always a period of fast before every feast. And and Lent became that period of preparation for Easter. Easter is the greatest of our holy days. And so it has the great fast, the long fast. And that's where we get the name Lent. It means long. This is the long fast to distinguish it from the other fast days that are there in the church calendar. So it's been there from very early on. And there are a lot of reasons historians speculate about, you know, uh, trying to figure out why we have that 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 fast that's so long, and one of them is that we imitate Jesus and his forty days in the desert, and Moses and his forty days of fasting, and Elijah and his forty days of fasting. But there are other reasons too. We want to gain self control. We want to gain self control so that we'll be faithful to God. You know, so we we gain control of our body by denying what our body wants. You know, the body always wants more than it needs, so we give it a little less than it wants. And we do that especially in a focused way during Lent. And we don't give these things up because they're bad. We give them up because they are, in fact, good. I mean, I think right. back to the very first chapter of the Bible, and what's the first fight over that results in the first murder? It's because one guy gave something good back to God, and one guy gave the manager's special rotted vegetables <laughs> back to God, all right? And uh, we don't give God back something that we don't care about. We give God something that we do care about to remind ourselves that we care about him more than that stuff. That's right, and it's a story that repeats itself um, all through the Old Testament and um, and really all through our lives, though it may not have so such dramatic circumstances as as uh, as to result in a murder, uh, you know, it happens in our lives that we abuse the good things we've been given. We overdo it, you know. We uh, we we're, we want we want more than we need, and uh, and we're, we we tend to um, we tend to 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 just binge all the time anymore because we have everything at our at our disposal. We live in times of 
you know, unprecedented prosperity for people. You know, we might feel a pinch because of, uh, you know, because of uh, inflation right now and all of these other things and, and because of unemployment. But even the poorest of uh, even the poorest among us are living better than some of the richest in former times. You know, people would never dream of the, some of the things we have, like air conditioning and heating and aspirin, you know, when you have a pain or a twinge. Um, we have things, we have access to things that our ancestors never dreamed of. I just think about how much more Cyril of Jerusalem might have accomplished if he had a backlit screen to look at after the sun went down, <laughs> right? To do these, I mean, even something about how, you know, these 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 church fathers were reading by candlelight, uh, you know, to to be able to to process the scriptures, to be able to share them and teach upon them. There's just so much to think about here. But with Cyril of Jerusalem and the people he was preaching to, we have the opportunity to go to confession, uh, to make this season of repentance something that we take very seriously. Mike Aquilina, if our listeners want to connect with you and find some of the stuff that you've written about the early church, how do they do so? Best place to find my books is at catholicbooksdirect.com, catholicbooksdirect.com. And you can find that link to at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Matt. We got headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside. So give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The Fierce Athlete Podcast features female athletes being raw and real about the joys and struggles of life, both on and off the field, and how faith can both heal our wounds and reveal true beauty. You can hear Fierce Athlete as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. 19 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs are speaking out following the deadly shooting at their championship parade, saying they are truly saddened by the senseless violence. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity to pray for peace more fervently. And the Holy Father at his general audience continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues, focusing on the sin 
of Acedia, known as the Noonday Demon. Next newscast coming up in about 10 minutes at the bottom of the hour here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Today, the Feast of St. Claude de la Colombière, a French Jesuit who was the spiritual director of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, who was imprisoned because he was accused of being part of the so-called Popish plots, the uh, Titus Oates plot during the uh, Reformation time in England. And he did not die a martyr's death, but is considered to be a quote-unquote dry martyr, meaning that he may not have died, but suffered every abuse imaginable in hatred of the faith. So, St. Claude de la Colombière, pray for us. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, how is the church one? The church is one because all its members agree in one faith, are all in one communion, and are all under one head. They agree in one faith because there is a single doctrine taught by Christ to his disciples, passed on through the apostles and their successors into our time. We can say that just as there is a single Mass celebrated all over the world, albeit in different languages and with different nuances, nevertheless there is one communion because it is the communion of Christ. Finally, there is one head of the Church, the invisible head Jesus Christ, who reigns through his visible head, the Pope, who is his vicar here on earth. The Holy Spirit guides him, as we have seen, maintaining the unity of the Church in doctrine morals, and in communion. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Brendan Hodge is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog, darwincatholic.blogspot.com, author of If You Can Get It, a novel from Ignatius Press, and is a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you back. And you are working on a story for The Pillar about state funding and Catholic school enrollment. First of all, just give us the big picture of what you're looking at with this. So if we look at the big picture on Catholic education over the last uh, 50 years, uh, what we see is that that although the percentage of the U.S. population that is Catholic has been pretty steady over that time, and the number of 
high school and elementary school students in the U.S. has remained pretty steady over that time. The number of students in Catholic schools has decreased by 65% over the last 50 years. And one of the big contributing factors since Vatican II is that if you look back to kind of the pre-conciliar church, where there were a lot of uh, religious brothers and sisters and a lot more priests, a lot of these schools were run primarily by consecrated religious, and these were people who dedicated their lives to serving the church. They did so without a whole lot of monetary cost, and so these schools were very inexpensive for Catholic families to send their students to. And as the schools have shifted to primarily lay teachers, uh, those teachers need to be paid a living wage, and school has become a lot more expensive, and a lot of Catholic families find themselves priced out of the market. But the big change that we've seen in the last few years is that an increasing number of states have been uh, creating parental choice programs where parents can take the funding that would go to support their children in public schools and use a portion of that money, usually not all of it, but a portion of it, to fund sending that student to a private school, including a Catholic school. And we're seeing this rapidly increase in some states, and um, that seems to be having a significant effect on Catholic school enrollment in those states. And so what we want to take a look at is the effect of those programs and what that would mean for Catholic schools as these programs expand. Okay, so let's take a look at uh, what you've got, what you've gathered so far in in terms of data. And looking at the national picture, Brendan, uh, what I think we may have lost the recording there with Brendan Hodge. Oh, no. Some really interesting things that Brendan had to say there that um, I'm not going to be able to say it quite as authoritatively as he did. But uh, these Catholic schools that are receiving state funding are receiving an increase in um, enrollment. And I'll just say for my part, as a, a parent of children who go to Catholic schools, um, something that is kind of an interesting concern, I guess you could say. I don't know if interesting is the right word, but kind of a concern is that with an increase in state funding comes an increase in, in interest from those who, you know, obviously wouldn't be able to otherwise afford a Catholic education. But what Catholic schools are going to need to remember, or at least I hope, um, and I know it's something that, that my kids' Catholic school is, is concerned about, is that those parents who are coming to the school recognize that it is a Catholic school first. Um, this idea of Catholic identity uh, needs to be a primary focus in the midst of this because if people are just coming because they want a better education than what they would get at, you know, whatever is their local public school or, um, you know, they just want, quote unquote, private education, that's not supposed to be the primary purpose of a Catholic school. It's supposed to be formation. So education, certainly a huge part of that. And, and learning, we as Catholics 
are are supposed to be as up on all of that as anybody else. But with the focus being on receiving that formation and, and realizing the ultimate end of that education, which is greater unity with God, um, allowing education to point us to the Lord. And so um, if parents coming to these schools are not on board with that, that's going to be, I mean, for lack of a better word, a bit of a headache for Catholic schools that that put formation first and foremost on, um, you know, that, that recognize that they are Catholic first and schools in addition, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I wasn't expecting to have to riff on this. So I hope that my brain is working enough to, to make sense of that. And if you're a Catholic school teacher or Catholic school principal, uh, administrator of any kind, if you're a Catholic school parent, um, just want to put that out there as something to have in the back of your minds as, as because I think, I mean, trust me, my kids couldn't go, I couldn't send my kids to my school if it weren't for the, the, the uh, vouchers that uh, we receive. So I'm not uh, denigrating state funding or the voucher system or anything like that. But remember, that your school is Catholic first. It's a school, but it's a Catholic school. And so formation has to be first and foremost on our minds. Anyway, Brendan is going to have this story out at the pillar um, and uh, encourage you to check it out. They're, they're gathering a few more numbers, but it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of this report. So Pillar Catholic dot com is where you can find that and you can find brendan and all of his writing at darwincatholic.blogspot.com on the sunrise morning show it's time for news the kansas city chiefs are speaking out following the deadly shooting at their championship parade yesterday the organization said it's truly saddened by the senseless act of violence that occurred outside of union station The team also said it is in close communication with the mayor's office and the Kansas City Police Department. The Chiefs did confirm that all players, coaches, staff, and their families are safe and accounted for. The statement ended with a thanks to local law enforcement officers and first responders who were on the scene. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity. He said... Today, Lent begins. Let us prepare to journey through this time as an opportunity for conversion and inner renewal in listening to the word of God and caring for our needy brothers and sisters who are in great need. He said, let us continue our help and intensify prayer, especially to request the gift of peace in the world and offered prayers again for martyred Ukraine and for the Holy Land. In his catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on vices and virtues, focusing this time on the sin of acedia, which he said is an often forgotten sin. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Acedia, the Holy Father noted as he began his general audience, is often called by another name. La pigrizia. Laziness. 
In reality, laziness is an effect more than a cause, noted the Pope, explaining that when a person is idle, indolent, or apathetic, often the root is acedia, which from its Greek origin literally means a lack of care. Lacidia è definita come il demone di mezzogiorno. Referring to acedia as the noonday demon, Pope Francis explained that it grips us in the middle of the day and makes the hours ahead seem impossible to bear. In stressing the dangers of this vice, the Holy Father stressed that the best remedy is one. La pazienza della fede. The patience of faith. Despite the desire to be elsewhere, one must have the courage to remain and to welcome God's presence in the here and now, said Pope Francis, recalling that monks often claim that the cell is the best teacher of life because it is a place that concretely and daily speaks to us in our love story with the Lord. Bringing his catechesis to a close, Pope Francis noted that the battle of Acidia is a decisive one and that it must be won at all costs. He invited all those who feel tempted to laziness to maintain a smaller measure of commitment, but at the same time to endure, to persevere by leaning on Jesus, who never abandons us in temptation. I'm Francesca Merlo. In Washington, the House Intelligence Committee is warning about what they're calling a serious national security threat. Various reports say the threat is related to emerging Russian space technology. Ohio Republican Mike Turner said his committee made information on the threat available to members of Congress. He requested that President Biden declassify the information relating to the threat so Congress and allies can openly discuss necessary actions to respond. New York City is suing social media companies over their roles in fueling the mental health crisis among children. Trey Thomas reports. Mayor Eric Adams says the city is joining hundreds of school districts nationwide and filing a lawsuit against the companies that own TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and YouTube. Our most recent data found that young people in New York City are experiencing anxiety, hopelessness, and even attempted suicide at rates we have never seen before. The lawsuit seeks to force the social media giants to change their behavior and recover costs. I'm Trey Thomas. A pair of climate protesters were arrested after dumping powder on the Constitution. Mark Mayfield reports. The vandalism took place Wednesday afternoon at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Security guards stood by while the incident unfolded, and it took several minutes before police arrived and took the two men into custody. Officials closed down the National Archives for the rest of the day. They say the Constitution appeared undamaged and is encased in the most scientifically advanced housing that preservation technology can provide. I'm Mark Mayfield. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The obligation that we have toward the Eternal Father, we have likewise toward Jesus Christ, who, by the redemption, has acquired every right of sovereignty over all redeemed creatures. Let us, therefore, exclaim and say to Jesus, Yes, my God and my King, reign over my soul, my heart, and my will. Possess all my faculties and submit them entirely to the scepter of obedience. Since Christ accepted death with love and held it up before us to be loved, I cannot begrudge the death of anyone so long as he or she dies in the grace of his most holy death. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Thursday morning. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through one of those books, Paradise of the Soul, written by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Annie. It's great to be with you today. It is great to have you. And today we are going to be unpacking St. Albert's reflections on the virtue of concord. Uh, How is this defined by St. Albert? Well, um, this is a very interesting one because I guess concord is not a word which we use all that often in English, Um, at least with don't get a virtue. But he talks about concord. So concord in English and in Latin um, literally means uh, getting along with or being um, not just at peace with, but being at agreement with. Hmm. And he says that true concord with God means to unite one's will to his, both when things are going well and equally so when things are going badly to strive to conform one's actions completely to the example of Jesus Christ. So to to accommodate ourselves perfectly to God's will, to accept it, and not to place ourselves at variance or conflict. And then the other part of concord, of course, is concord with one's neighbors, with one's brothers and sisters in this world. And he says that true concord towards neighbors emerges from sensing within them those things of God, and seeing within them the image of God. Just as in the early church it was said that all were of one heart and of one soul, for all were united in their faith and love for God. And another sign of concord is to conform oneself with one's neighbor in all those things which are not contrary to God, 
nor one's particular vow or vocation. And I think this is the really challenging one yeah. uh, for a lot of people today, um, you know, just to, to get along with people wherever possible. And I think sometimes we, we don't really appreciate the importance of that as a virtue. Right. And can, you know, th- this is so interesting. Um, I, I was so intrigued by what he had to say here because there's this sort of like, I don't know, physical or, or I guess practical is probably the better way to put it, practical considerations that he makes when it, when it comes to this virtue but it's all based on, on on scripture when it comes to being in concord with my neighbor. It, it, it is indeed. So he goes on to say that this concord with our neighbor includes a general conformity with prevailing customs in matters of food, mm-hmm. clothing, sleep, conduct and work. And this is in accordance with the principle that the Apostle St. Paul wrote. We are made weak with the weak that we may gain the weak for the kingdom of God. Indeed, we make ourselves all things to all people, so that many of them may be saved. Um, you know, I think this is such an important principle to, um, you know, without being excessively conformist, which we, I think, sometimes, um, you know, make too much of, yeah. to try to make ourselves go along with the prevailing customs and practices in whatever situation of life we find ourselves. As long as this isn't contrary to the law of God and the things he talks about, clothing, sleep, food, and so forth, these things are not really dictated to us by the law of God. And he's encouraging us to, um, our brothers and sisters, this is particularly important in religious life, Mm. um, particularly in monastic life, that we need to go along with the existing customs and practices. Um, You know, we can make suggestions here and there, but but not to try to do our own thing. You know, that is really um, an interesting point. I I mean, particularly considering that St. Albert the Great, of course, was in a religious order. He's a Dominican, so he's not uh, a monk, but uh, a Dominican priest living in community. And uh, we have the novitiate for the Eastern Province Dominicans here in the United States um, at, at my parish, actually. And um, and 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 I know the well. The former novice master used to talk about you know pounding the novices into the mold of uh, being a Dominican. I mean that's uh, that would would take a lot of humility, I would imagine, Father. Am I right? Yes, it does take a lot of humility, you know. And often when when novices join religious orders or monastic orders, they can find that. Um, at a certain point, they just don't want to conform with what the community is doing. Mm-hmm. Either they, they'll complain about the food or they'll complain about the habit, or they might even say, you know, I prefer that prayer starts at 4 a.m. instead of 5 a.m. And things like that, which, you know, might seem to be well-intentioned in their own way. But you think, well, in these cases, what you need to do is to see the will of God through other people and to exercise humility. So, you know, for for the first few years of any vocation, uh, in general, to conform with what our neighbours are doing. And that's basically how communities and society of any kind works, on the principle that people, while there can be individual differences, are more or less doing that applies to places of work as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking um, I hadn't really thought about it from the perspective of a religious community, but uh, was thinking about it in terms of of missionaries, Father, and going to these far off places with very different cultures and uh, and following this virtue of, of concord. Exactly. For missionaries, that is such an important tool that they uh, take on the culture, the, the practices and everything of the local inhabitants. So, you know, human culture, human practices are so widely varied. And as long as it's not contrary to the law of God, then we should be happy to accept this diversity. The point at which it does become contrary to the law of God, which I think happens a lot in our own modern society, you know, Mm -hmm. we hear about diversity and so forth. The point at which it's contrary to the law of God is the point where we have to say no. Exactly. But up to that, it's a question of humility and flexibility. Yeah, yeah, flexible thinking. So... Father, what is what would uh, can you talk about what he uh, describes as signs of true and deficient concord? Yes, so the sign of true concord with God, patience which is untroubled with sin, and um, he gives the example of Saint Paul, who says, "My conscience does not accuse me of anything." If we've conformed our own will and entirely accepted the will of God then we're not going to have any anything to feel guilty about because we'll follow exactly what he wishes for us. And then a sign of concord with our neighbor is not to raise complaints against them, not to participate in grumbling or gossip about them. And I think this is, is so important, of seeing the best in our neighbor and not not kind of running them down, gossiping, complaining, and so forth. Um, and he gives some examples of that. John the Baptist, um, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and so forth, that they were all highly regarded by the people who surrounded them, and they never had occasion to grumble or complain or gossip about others. St. Albert is getting me every single time, Father. This has been (laughs) such a challenging but really fruitful book, and we're not, I don't even think we're halfway through the virtues yet. We've been talking about the virtue of concord, according to the reflections of St. Albert the Great. You can find them in The Paradise of the Soul, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Thanks very much. God bless you, Annie, and all your listeners today. And you as well, Father. Thank you so much. All right. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. It's 14 till. Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. 
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs are speaking out, saying the organization is truly saddened by the senseless act of violence that occurred in the deadly shooting at their championship parade yesterday. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity to intensify our prayer, especially to request the gift of peace in the world. And the Holy Father continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues at his general audience, focusing in on the sin of acedia. Next newscast in about 13-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast. He's a licensed counselor and former seminary professor. Kevin, good morning. Hey, Annie, good to hear your voice and talk with you. Yeah, it is good to talk to you, and I am so intrigued to hear your thoughts (laughs) On this topic, what we can learn for the Lenten journey from Sigmund Freud. Um, A lot of people seem to mm -hmm. think that Freud is incompatible with Catholicism. So uh, how do you look at him from the Catholic perspective? Okay, so in these weeks of Lent, I'd like to talk about a couple of different models of therapy. We'll start with uh, Freud, who's kind of the father of it all. And, you know, the reaction, the response I would have is, uh, Thomas Aquinas got a lot of grief from his contemporaries when, you know, he rediscovered Aristotle mm. and he started to think like this is a pagan philosopher. He's not a believer, but he has a lot of things that maybe we can use for our Christian faith to understand God's revelation a little bit better and how we should live our lives. So he went through that was not an easy transition. We look back now, everybody loves Thomas. But at the beginning, he was not a popular popular guy because of that. So I think same thing here. There's a lot. I would be the first one to say I've been doing therapy forever. And I would be the first one to say that there's a lot of things in contemporary psychology and therapy, which is just plain silly. And some of it is harmful. Uh, so we'll start with that. So, you know, the, the contemporary way to look at uh, the human person, I think that's where we got to start. That's, you know, the kind of a philosophy of the human person. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, psychology right now is based on basically goes back to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And then Carl Rogers kind of added a psychological twist to that. The people are essentially good. 
and they're infinitely perfectible. And Rogers took it a step further, like all people need is understanding and empathy and they will change on their own. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, Freud has, which is which I think is interesting. He has he didn't call it this. He was uh, an atheist later in his life. He had grown up a Jew. So a lot of Catholics don't want to even look at him because of that. But I think there's something there that he actually is talking about our reality of original sin and concupiscence. So he has a pretty dark view of human nature in a way that we can change, but it's tremendously hard work and that uh, we we have a we have this raging conflict inside us. So when I read Freud, I think about that passage from Romans seven, like the things that I want to do, I don't do the things that I don't mm. want to do, I wind up doing. Yeah. So we're in this conflict. Well, we don't see a lot of that. And a lot of psychology right now, therapy tends to focus on what everybody else has done to me, whereas Freud will basically in his therapy is saying, I'm my own worst enemy. So Freud is hmm. misinterpreted to say, well, you know, let's go back and blame your parents and talk about your childhood. But he's really saying, okay, you're an adult right now, and this is what happened in your childhood. And some of it may have been terrible, and your parents may have been totally dysfunctional. What are you going to do about it right now? How can we change? How can you become more rational and deal with your life? So I think that's that's very helpful. And at the time that Freud was living, and some of our readings from Lent actually echo this, uh, Vienna, end of the 19th century, people were very bourgeois, looked nice on the outside. And basically, he's saying we have this unconscious, these unconscious drives and instincts of aggression, of lust, of, you know, not getting along with other people, being selfish. And underneath the that nice surface, uh, we've got this raging conflict going on inside, mm -hmm. right? So his image was, you know, it's like the tip of the iceberg. That's kind of what we see in public. Wow. But there's most of the iceberg is underneath. And so maybe that would be one way to look at Lent is become more aware and conscious of how that operates in our life. And I want to make this point. There's a lot of talk these days about unconscious bias. And we're not talking about that. That's a whole different topic. I think that's very narrow about prejudice. Here, I think Freud is saying we are driven by unconscious uh, energies, dynamics all day long. And it's not just about prejudice, about certain groups. And we can find that when we realize, where do I get emotionally upset? Who are the people that bug the heck out of me at work and my family? Uh, what do I do that I feel a little bit ashamed about? Uh, where do I have enormous anxiety during the day? Well, Freud would say, if we pay attention to that, we can start to look at what would be a different way to react. Uh, most of us are on automatic pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, I think during Lent, it's about paying attention. Wake up is what the gospels say. Look at yourself. You got limited amount of time. Uh, we're not going to get out of this alive. Uh, you know, yeah. remember your <laughs> dust, right? Okay. So Freud's kind of saying the same thing. And, and he was he was a very uh, ethical person uh, compared to some of his contemporaries. Uh, he suffered a lot because he had uh, bone cancer, which he died of later in his life. Uh, but he, he kept seeing patients right up until the end. Wow. So even though he's been gone almost 90 years, uh, he's still got a lot to say. And there's one contemporary person. This is somebody from the 12-step tradition. And he refers back to, and he knew a lot about Freud, uh, and he had a problem with alcohol. But one of the things he talked about is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that great story. Mm -hmm. That's each one of us. We have this very proper person who's intelligent and rational. And then we've got this dark, brutish force that comes out. And it seems like we're two different people, but we're really not. That's all us. And this person said this, how shall our 
what's our job? How sure are unconscious from which come so many fears, compulsions, phony aspirations? How can that be brought into line with what we actually believe, know, and want? How to convince our dumb, raging, and hidden Mr. Hyde becomes wow. our main task, right? Yeah. So to think about that in terms of Lent. So, yeah, there's a lot in Freud we're not going to embrace because of our Christian faith. But there's some really kernels there that are very valuable that have gotten lost. So most of my colleagues, either they've never read Freud or mm. they don't teach it in school anymore, or they think, well, that's old hat. That was 100 years ago. That has no relevance. But I find a lot there that, that really helps us to get into Lent, like pay attention, look at our unconscious reactions, our strong emotional reactions, and then see if we can ask for God's grace to change that and become better. Absolutely. To have that self-awareness, to be able to focus in on those sinful, dark places in our lives and mm -hmm. hand them over to God, but also to come up with a plan to foster virtue, to mm -hmm. uh, shine the light in on those those places of darkness. And mm -hmm. Really interesting, good stuff. I never thought that I would ever hear anything positive about <laughs> Freud on Catholic Radio. Well, so, Kevin, well, now, really, you have. now I, <laughs> okay. I really appreciate this, Kevin. Right. Thank you so much. All right, Annie, you have a great beginning to Lent. Take Thank care. Thank you. You too, Kevin. All right, we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates. You're listening to EWTN Radio. At sacredheartradio.com. continuing our way on this Thursday, February the 15th. It is the Feast of St. Claude de la Colombière and also the Thursday after Ash Wednesday. Let's begin this hour praying to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, O most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Hour 2 of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Maybe it's Hour 1 if your affiliate just carries this hour. Either way... We are happy that you are here, whether you have been listening for the past hour or just starting up with us now. Good morning. Welcome to Lent. I'm Anna Mitchell coming to you from the studios of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. Matt Swaim's sick this morning, so please say a prayer for his quick recovery. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis Smith has the video feed up and running. If you want to see the illustrations from Dr. John Burke's most love basics for Catholics. 
You better tune into our YouTube feed, or you can find us on Facebook as well. Go to sonrisemorningshow.com to uh, tune in to the video feed. I have some interesting illustrations to share this morning with uh, Dr. John Bergsma closing out our study of the Book of Revelation in Love Basics for Catholics. He'll be up after the news. Rita Heikenfeld is going to talk about fasting bread and has some recipes for us for fasting bread and fasting soup, which will come in handy during this Lenten season. Gary Machuda will join us to continue our series on his book, The Gospel Truth. We're going to be talking about how the book of Revelation made it into the New Testament canon. And then we'll wrap things up for the hour with Courtney Brown from the Rural Woods Institute. We've been getting Theology of the Body mini lessons based on their K-12 through curriculum. And we're going to be talking about fourth grade and the book of Genesis today. Good stuff. Right now it's three minutes past and news is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. The Kansas City Chiefs are speaking out following the deadly shooting at their NFL championship parade yesterday. The organization said it's truly saddened by the senseless act of violence that occurred outside of Union Station. The team also said it is in close communication with the mayor's office and Kansas City's police department. The Chiefs did confirm that all players, coaches, staff, and their families are safe and accounted for. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity to pray more fervently for peace. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. As Lent begins, let us prepare to journey through this time as an opportunity for conversion and inner renewal, Pope Francis says, calling it an opportunity to listen to the Word of God and care for our needy brothers and sisters who are in great need. With this thought, Pope Francis began his latest appeal for closeness to all those suffering from wars. Here, let us never forget the tormented Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel. Who suffer so much, he said. Ukraine later this month will commemorate the two-year anniversary of the start of the war since Russia's invasion in February 2022 as the killings and bombardments continue. Let us pray, Pope Francis appealed for these brothers and sisters who suffer from war. The Pope invited everyone to pursue conversion and actively care for those suffering, those in war zones, and those who have been forced to flee. Let us continue our help and intensify prayer, he said, especially those prayers to request the gift of peace in the world. Also in the Holy Father's remarks to Polish pilgrims, Pope Francis thanked Polish faithful who organized or are participating in a fundraiser in all Polish churches today, the first day of Lent, to help Ukraine. Since February 2022, over 15 million refugees from Ukraine have crossed through the Polish border. In the face of so many wars, Pope Francis said, let us not close our hearts to those in need. As he invited, may prayer, fasting, and almsgiving be the way to build peace. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues at the general audience yesterday, focusing on the sin of Assidia, known as the noonday demon, because it, quote, grips us in the middle of the day, he said, when fatigue is at its peak and the hours ahead of us seem monotonous, impossible to bear. He said, 
Despite the desire to be elsewhere, one must have the courage to remain and to welcome God's presence in the here and now. The judge overseeing the New York State civil fraud trial of the Trump Organization, Donald Trump, and his two adult sons will issue his verdict on damages this week. More from Mark Mayfield. NBC News is reporting that the decision will come from Judge Arthur Engron Friday. Engron has already ruled the company and the Trumps engaged in fraud. Neither party in the case requested a jury trial. The coming verdict will be about intent and damages. State Attorney General Letitia James wants $370 million and a ban on the company doing business in the state. The judge could order the former president's businesses to be dissolved. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the FDA is approving the first ever medication to treat frostbite. Arlumin, A-U-R-L-U-M-Y-N, is an injection used in adults who have suffered severe frostbite to help reduce the risk of toe or finger amputation. A trial of the treatment found that patients who received the medication alone saw a lower risk of amputation compared to patients who received other treatments. The agency noted the most common side effects of the medication include headache, heart palpitations, nausea, dizziness, and hypotension, which I guess in comparison to losing a toe or finger would be relatively minor, I suppose. I don't know. I've never had frostbite. I've never had a finger or toe amputated because of it. So, I mean, those side effects sound awful, but I don't know. Anyway, kind of interesting, right? Treating frostbite. Today is Thursday, February the 15th. It is the Feast of St. Claude de la Colombière, spiritual director of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, and therefore a uh, saint very much devoted to the most sacred heart of Jesus. St. Claude de la Colombière, pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, we are closing out our study of the book of Revelation today, and I want to revisit where we left off the last time, which is this thing about a, a cube and the church. So I'm going to start us off by reading from Revelation chapter 21. I am starting at verse 9. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the Spirit, He carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its breadth, and he measured the city with his rod. 
12,000 stadia. Its length and breadth and height are equal. So, okay, that makes sense where you get this idea about the cube, because a cube, of course, has equal height, length, and, and width. Um, but what is the significance of this cube? Yes. So there's only one cubical thing in the whole Bible uh, prior to this, and that is the Holy of Holies, which, according to 1 Kings chapter 6, was a perfectly cubical room Hmm. uh, covered completely in gold. So, Anna, there's an old Jewish uh, Jewish tradition that predates uh, our Lord and is even reflected in some canonical texts, that um, in the end of time, the holiness of the temple would expand and fill the whole city. And what we're seeing in Revelation here is the ultimate fulfillment of that, when not only the holiness of the temple, but actually the holiness of the Holy of Holies, which was the most holy place in the temple, expands to fill the whole city. So the city is one great holy of holies. 12,000 stadia is about 1,500 miles, so that's a cube with one corner in Washington, D.C., and another corner in Chicago sticking up into the sky. So that could fit a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, for real. But it it goes on in, in verse 22. I was reading through verse 15, And um, it goes on in verse 22 to say, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. I mean, what what does this say about the church, Dr. Bergsma? Yes. So I think the key is understanding 1 Corinthians uh, 6, where St. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Hmm. So on one hand... The whole city is a temple. On the other hand, there isn't a temple in the city because the place of worship is God himself. And that is like the church, which is, in one sense, a temple built of living stones, because each of us is given the Holy Spirit through baptism. And we really believe that. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit only resided in the Holy of Holies, but now the Spirit resides in each one of us, from, you know, the Pope to the most recently baptized baby. And so the whole Church, you know, is one big presence of the Holy Spirit. In one sense, an enormous temple. In another sense, there's no temple in it, because the presence of God is really the place of worship uh, everywhere. Uh, in the church. Which really brings us back to where the entire Bible begins, right? The Garden of Eden. Yes, Garden of Eden, the first sanctuary, and then indeed the bodies of Adam and Eve as sanctuaries as well. We talked about the rib taken from Adam's side as a as a temple term, and in him was breathed the uh, the spirit of life which uh, we find out another passage of the Scripture is the Holy Spirit. So that's right, we've come a, you know, full circle back to having the Holy Spirit residing within us and having you know, each of us be a body temple. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, okay, so I'm not going to deny, I mean, there's a lot of rich 
rich um, uh, insights into love and God in the book of Revelation. So I can imagine that this would be in your book, even if you weren't an illustrator, Dr. Bergsma. But I just believe that you wanted to talk about the book of Revelation so that you could draw these particular pictures. If folks are watching the video stream, they can see the illustrations. Can you take us through this a little bit? Sure. So we, we draw ourselves a cube, and then uh, we've got to put a veil on the cube. <laughs> Again, a cube with, you know, 1,500 miles on a side. That's one heck of a wedding dress dimensions. Um, <laughs> I think most women would prefer to be a smaller, more petite uh, size and have some variation in those, uh, you know, three dimensions. But anyway, um, so I put the veil on the cube and then some wings on the cube so it can fly down from heaven to be married to her groom, who is a lamb. I mean, this is a very, very strange wedding. <laughs> When you step outside, kind of look at it from that perspective. But uh, yes, these are images uh, talking to us about theological truth. I got to show this to my four-year-old. He's going to be so, (laughs) so, so inspired to learn more about the book of Revelation. It's so cool. And you can read more about it and uh, study these pictures more deeply in Dr. John Bergsma's book, Love Basics for Catholics, which you can find through Ave Maria Press and also linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsmith, thank you so much. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. I look forward to it. All right, it's 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. What have you always wanted to know about the Vatican? Well, I'm your Vatican Insider, and I answer that question when I bring you the news about the Pope, Vatican City, and I share insights and stories from a broad spectrum of church ministries. Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis, Saturday night, 9 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. 
18 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs are speaking out and expressing sadness following the deadly shooting at their Super Bowl championship parade yesterday. During his Ash Wednesday general audience, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity to pray more fervently for peace. And he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues, focusing on the sin of acedia. Next newscast at the bottom of the hour, right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. So today, the feast of St. Claude de la Colombière. And I am disappointed for a number of reasons that Matt is sick today. Um, One, because he and I both love St. Claude. And um, and a Jesuit priest who used to work at the seminary, who used to teach at the seminary here in Cincinnati, Father Ted Ross, um, had some beautiful insights and some funny insights into St. Claude, which uh, fostered a great devotion in both Matt and me for St. Claude de la Colombière. But man, did he have some incredible things to say. So I've got this book. The Spiritual Direction of St. Claude de la Colombière. It came out from Ignatius Press like years ago, but I keep it on my shelf. And um, the other reason why I'm disappointed is because I didn't get to look through this a little more fervently to like really pick out a quote. I just kind of flipped through it and found this one. Um, so it's kind of like St. Claude Roulette right now. This is on faith. He says, it is an error to think that faith is so entirely a gift of God that it is not in our power to increase and strengthen it. Some admit they have very little faith and excuse themselves on this account for their bad lives. Therefore, when they are reproached for having so little faith, it makes no more impression upon them than if you told them they had not the gift of miracles. They admire faith in the saints as a purely gratuitous grace. They persuade themselves that they can do nothing to increase their own faith and that the only thing to do is to remain passive until God grants them that favor. They will make no effort to grow in faith, saying that to do so is quite useless. I know my faith is weak, they say, but it is no good me trying to rekindle it. I cannot do it. I wish I were like those saints who without any trouble were detached from everything but God. What is good of me wishing for these things if God does not intend to give them to me? We must get rid of these ideas, see why it is our faith is so weak, and acknowledge that it is our own fault and that whatever we may say, the truth is that we do not believe because we do not wish to believe. St. Claude, pray for us. To get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes, when you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. An act of love. Lord, teach me to love you as you deserve. 
teach me to love you above all else. You created me to glorify you, and I glorify you by reflecting your image and likeness ever more fully. I glorify you not by my own might and striving apart from you, but by my humility, by my receptivity to your light, and by my response to your love. I love you because you are entirely good. It is you who enkindle my soul, who stir my will into act by giving me your own spirit of love. I want nothing but you, no love but yours to reign in my heart. Be my supreme love, my very love, that I may live in you and you in me. Nothing but you, Lord. I want to be filled with you, to see you, to taste and to know and delight in you alone. Not for my pleasure, but for your glory, now and forever. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's time for Bible Foods here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And as always, Sunrise Morning Show official mom, Rita Heikenfeld, joining us from AboutEating.com. Good morning, Rita. Well, Miss Annie, good morning. So nice to talk to you. It is so great to talk to you. And I am excited to get to talk about this topic, um, Mm -hmm. fasting bread, which... I hope a lot of folks sit up and listen to this because this can be so helpful uh, for us in this season of fasting and yet so delicious and nutritious as well. And uh, this has a a long tradition in in Catholic spirituality, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, um, and, and what folks have found out is it's a fasting bread when you fast on bread and water. It's really a good spiritual discipline, I think. Um, and it's it's a way, I think, also, Annie, to, to connect with the meaning of Lent. Um, and I usually fast for a day at a time only. Some folks do it uh, longer. And what I always say is check with your medical care professional before you go on any kind of fast. Don't you think so? Oh, absolutely. But there is such deep spiritual significance, especially mm-hmm. in the time of Lent, as we are preparing ourselves to be able to celebrate the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost. I mean, we're so early in Lent right now, those seem so far away. And yet this time to reorder our passions and one of the the easiest passions to indulge in is food. We can overeat so easily. And so fasting just gets us right back into the 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 mode of of relying on the Lord and on our daily bread. But when it comes to eating bread and water alone, for instance, you mentioned the bread and water fast. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not talking about like the loaf of bread that I pick up at the grocery store, are we? No, not or or croissants. First of all, (laughs) the fasting bread, it's not a light textured bread um, or even what we call fancy bread. It's uh, dense. And the reason it's dense, the purpose of it is what you just said, to provide nutrition uh, with some carbs and good proteins. And the, the recipe that I'm sharing today is made with biblical ingredients, so every ingredient just about has biblical significance. So um, let's go through, why don't we go through some of the ingredients. You pick the ones you like the best, and then I'll give the recipe for the bread. Yeah, okay, so we've got, I'm going to go through all of them here. Flour, yeast, salt, olive oil, honey, 
fruits and nuts. Um, I want to ask about the fruits and nuts, uh, obviously the, the biblical significance, but I don't know that many people think about putting fruit and nuts in bread all the time. You know, they don't, but the, the trend now is to put some healthy dried fruits like apricots, dried cranberries, dried cherries, uh, raisins, which would be a good biblical fruit. And what this does, especially in a fasting bread, is offer some, some good carbs and some flavor and a little bit of sweetness. And nuts, too. You know, nuts are full of good protein. And the thing is, though, if you have somebody who's got an allergy to nuts, just don't put them in. Mm-hmm. You, um, and the same with the fruit. It's not that much. It's not going to change the bread that much. But it does, I think, augment it with more protein and some good carbs. And, and it tastes better, too, especially if you're serving even some to kids with their um, breakfast. You know, it makes great toast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like cranberry walnut bread. Mm-hmm, so, exactly. Yeah. So, so good. Um, honey, of course, milk, the land of milk and honey. We mm-hmm. talk about uh, the the uh, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. But um, you have some interesting symbolism to share about the honey. Yeah, when when honey's warmed up, it's pretty thick on the in the pantry. It flows very very easily, and so when you make this bread, that flowing honey, it's really a reminder of how Jesus's blood flowed on the cross. Perfect mm. for Lent, I think. Wow, absolutely. And as we look to our own spiritual lives in in this time of fasting, um, we have yeast and salt, which can be such great imagery when it comes to the spiritual life. Oh, yeah, yeast. Think about this. It's unifying. When you put yeast in bread, it makes everything come together, unifying many parts into one. And that's really a symbol of the kingdom of heaven and of the church. And then the salt, you know, when Christ said to, to his people, you are the salt of the earth. And when you put salt in yeast bread, Danny, it not only helps flavor, but it sort of tempers out the way the bread rises. It gives a real good balanced rise so it doesn't huh. over-rise. I'm going to be pondering that spiritually uh, for, for the rest of the day here, Rita. Well, why don't you take us through this fasting bread recipe? Okay, and it's an overnight, no-need fruit and fasting bread. I've got it on my site, too. So basically, you're going to take a big bowl, and you're going to whisk together three cups of all-purpose flour, a cup of nuts, three-fourths a uh, cup of fruit, dried fruit, um, and a couple teaspoons of salt, and about a half a teaspoon of yeast, and then all that together. And then you take some warm water, about one and a half cups of real warm water, mix that with three tablespoons of honey, and you make a well in the the dry ingredients. Then you pour that wet mixture in and just stir it up. It's going to be so sticky. It's not going to look like bread dough. And then you just cover that um, and leave it on the counter anywhere from 12 to 24 hours. Wow. And, and then you just dump it out, um, knead it a little bit, and bake it up. And it is delicious. Nice and dark on top, crusty and moist in the center. I have pictures and the complete recipe on my site. As well as a recipe for vegetarian fasting soup, which I'm sorry to say we don't have time to go through here on the air, but encourage folks to head over to mm-hmm. abouteating.com to get that recipe because it looks delicious. We've been talking to Rita Heikenfeld. Rita, thank you so much. You're welcome. I think your kids will like the soup. Oh, yeah. They will because I'm going to give it to them. It looks so good. 
Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Kansas City Chiefs are speaking out following the deadly shooting at their championship parade yesterday. The organization said it's truly saddened by the senseless act of violence that occurred outside of Union Station. The team also said they've been in close communication with the mayor's office and the Kansas City Police Department. The Chiefs did confirm that all players, coaches, staff and their families are safe and accounted for. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity. He said, today Lent begins. Let us prepare to journey through this time as an opportunity for conversion and inner renewal in listening to the word of God and caring for our needy brothers and sisters who are in great need. He said, let us continue to help and intensify prayer, especially to request the gift of peace in the world, saying, May we never forget martyred Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel who suffer so much. Let us pray for these brothers and sisters who suffer from war, end quote. In his catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on vices and virtues, focusing this time on the sin of acedia, which he said is an often forgotten sin. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Acedia, the Holy Father noted as he began his general audience, is often called by another name. La pigrizia. Laziness. In reality, laziness is an effect more than a cause, noted the Pope, explaining that when a person is idle, indolent or apathetic, often the root is acedia, which from its Greek origin literally means a lack of care. La civia. Referring to Asidia as the noonday demon, Pope Francis explained that it grips us in the middle of the day and makes the hours ahead seem impossible to bear. In stressing the dangers of this vice, the Holy Father stressed that the best remedy is one. La paciencia de la fede. The patience of faith. Despite the desire to be elsewhere, one must have the courage to remain and to welcome God's presence in the here and now, said Pope Francis, recalling that monks often claim that the cell is the best teacher of life because it is a place that concretely and daily speaks to us in our love story with the Lord. Bringing his catechesis to a close, Pope Francis noted that the battle of Assyria is a decisive one and that it must be won at all costs. He invited all those who feel tempted to laziness to maintain a smaller measure of commitment, but at the same time to endure, to persevere by leaning on Jesus, who never abandons us in temptation. I'm Francesca Merlo. The House Intelligence Committee is warning about a, quote, serious national security threat. Various reports say the threat is related to emerging Russian space technology. Ohio Republican Mike Turner said his committee made information on the threat available to members of Congress and requested that President Biden declassify the information relating to the threat so Congress and allies can openly discuss actions necessary to respond. The judge, or sorry, that's the wrong story. The, a pair of climate protesters were arrested after dumping pink powder over the case containing the U.S. Constitution. More from Mark Mayfield. The vandalism took place Wednesday afternoon at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Security guards stood by while the incident unfolded, and it took several minutes before police arrived and took the two men into custody. Officials closed down the National Archives for the rest of the day. They say the Constitution appeared undamaged and is encased in the most scientifically advanced housing that preservation technology can provide. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. New York City is suing social media companies over their roles in fueling the mental health crisis among children. Trey Thomas has the story. Mayor Eric Adams says the city is joining hundreds of school districts nationwide and filing a lawsuit against the companies that own TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and YouTube. Our most recent data found that young people in New York City are experiencing anxiety, hopelessness, and even attempt to suicide at rates we have never seen before. The lawsuit seeks to force the social media giants to change their behavior and recover costs. I'm Trey Thomas. And the FDA is approving the first ever medication to treat frostbite. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The Sunrise If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about lying? Who has not told that occasional little white lie? But how little can a lie be without being sinful? St. Augustine defined a lie as a falsehood intended to deceive. Thus, a lie is an offense against truth. Because God is truth, any attempt on our part to alter the truth, to lie then is to commit an offense against God, who is truth. But not all lies are created equal. To tell someone you like their new dress or shoes when you wouldn't be caught dead in them is an attempt to retain a friendship rather than a plot to do harm to someone. But some lies, in fact, do cause great harm or damage to others. To lie under oath is a serious offense, both against the civil authority relying on our truthful testimony and against God. The reality is that any willingness to lie weakens respect for truth, and thus the potential for more serious lies is fostered by each little white lie we tell. For more information, contact your local pastor or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2464 through 2499. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday after Ash Wednesday in Lent. Gary Machuda joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's with he's at online at Hands On Apologetics, and we've been going through his book, The Gospel Truth. Gary, good morning. Morning, Annie. So you have been talking about lately in our series on the book how we got the New Testament, you know, which books and epistles were term, were were received as as the inspired word of God and and are part of what we now know 
as the Bible. Um, so the last time you were on with us, you discussed the uh, the letter to the Corinthians by Pope St. Clement the First, which is full of, I just read it, Gary, just full of really incredible theology, encouragement, a lot of references to the Old Testament. Um, all of this mm-hmm. like, just really quite edifying to read even today. So just quickly, before we get to the book of Revelation today, can you remind us why Clement's letter to the Corinthians did not make it into the New Testament canon? Yeah, well, it um, originally there was a uh, problem in Corinth where uh, bishops were pulled out of their office and replaced with other bishops that were more amenable to some of the laity. And this caused a great consternation so that uh, the leaders in Corinth wrote a letter to uh, Pope St. Clement in Rome and asked him to intervene. And so First Clement is the response from Rome, basically telling them to repent and replace the, the people that were already there. And you're right, it is a long, it's fascinating letter. And uh, this, and they complied. And not only did they comply, but they made it a point on Sunday after the readings to read portions of what we call First Clement. And I, I, what happened there in Corinth is that this became uh, an accustomed reading, and perhaps it was even affixed to the back of the lectionary, you know, mm-hmm. because it's for easy reference. And eventually it became associated with Scripture. And uh, so that's a, a possible, like, false positive that First Clement is part of the New Testament. But as the Church expands and you know, covers the uh, well, covers most of Europe uh, in the fourth century. What they found is when you look at the church as a whole, you find out that First Clement is read as scripture in, in Corinth, but it's not really read as scripture anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So you could use that methodology to say, okay, well, this this is a false positive. It, it wasn't part of that original corpus handed on to the church. So interesting to see how uh, tradition formed there. So then let's look at the book of Revelation and kind of an opposite issue, if you will. It got some resistance, particularly in the East. Can you tell us the story about why? Yeah. Well, first off, you have to realize Revelation is such an odd bird among the New <laughs> yes, I mean, sure. It, there's just nothing like it. So, uh, so that's, you know, but nevertheless, it's read as Scripture as part of the New Testament. But there was this sect that arose in modern-day Turkey called the, the Montanists. And the Montanists were also very strange. They were esoteric, apocalyptic. Uh, they, had, they believed in ongoing revelation. They had their own prophets and prophetesses. And, and uh, they also had weird beliefs like that the Muslim was going to descend on Phrygia, of all places, you know. Mm. And they, they loved the book of Revelation. And so there was a kind of um, gag reflex you know, from the mm-hmm. surrounding churches that were Orthodox that, you know, the, these Montanists are making an awful lot out of this book of Revelation. And, and so they started not using the book of Revelation and maybe even frowned upon people using the book of Revelation. And so this began to sow doubts. Well, you know, is Revelation really an authentic member of uh, the New Testament. And so you're exactly right. It's like the flip side of what we see with First Clement. It, yeah, you have the, with Clement, one community that is 
really gung-ho about this letter, but the rest of them, it's it, it hasn't really been distributed. It doesn't doesn't have the same kind of significance. And then on the flip side, as you say, the book of Revelation kind of rejected by one community, but the rest of of the church um, using it pretty widely, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Montanism was largely centered in the East, so problems with Revelation kind of was focused on the East. The West was pretty much fine with it. And again, you know, what's really interesting is it takes a couple of centuries later when you can get a bird's-eye view of Mm. how the Church as a whole uses, that they realize that although there were many doubts about the Book of Revelation, there's, it was used everywhere else. So we know that that was part of the New Testament corpus. So what would you say is the big takeaway from all of this, Gary, when it comes to Scripture and tradition and, and how all of this developed in the early Church? Yeah, it's it's because of the Catholicity of the Church that we're able, you know, as a community to to look and be able to uh, discern which books are uh, part of the canon, the, you know, the collection of the New Testament, which ones aren't. And not only that, but you could use the same methodology for determining the canon to determine other things, like what's the correct reading of the text that we have in the New Testament, mm-hmm. or even, like, what's the correct interpretation? You could use that same methodology to get the correct meaning from the text. Well, and some people, I don't know, maybe might feel a little bit scandalized by this, Gary, that that the, you know, you think you get this this idea if you're not studying it that maybe you know god just kind of handed a bible to the pope or something you know and like this yeah. is what scripture is but it's just it's just messier than that isn't it yeah yeah it is because humans are messy you know <laughs> you're exactly right there's actually a book i have on my shelf i kept it just for the title it's called That Manuscript That Came From Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the Bible didn't, like, pop out for, you know, from heaven with a parachute. It, it is something Jesus handed on to the Church, and it's, if you take the Church seriously as a visible, organized, uh, tangible society, then you can know these things about Scripture. But if you conceive of the Church as, like, an invisible collection of like-minded believers— you can't know what the canon is, just like you can't really know uh, what's the true interpretation of Scripture. You need the Church for that. Absolutely. You can read more about this in Gary's book, The Gospel Truth, How We Can Know What Christ Taught. It's from Emmaus Road Publishing, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, along with Gary's website, Hands On Apologetics. Gary, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. You bet. We'll look forward to having you next time. All right, it is a quarter till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Courtney Brown joins us next. Stay with us. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. 
Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. Bible in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's voice and learn how to live life through the lens of Scripture with a new episode every day. I hope you'll join me as we discover how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. And also wipe that sleep out of your eyes on Sunday mornings, 9.15 Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Stories from the Heart with Sandra McDevitt. Stories from the Heart features Catholic inspirational stories that are uplifting bringing the heart and soul closer to God. The story span the late 1800s to the present day. So tune in Sunday mornings, 9.15 Eastern Time on EWTN Radio for Stories from the Heart with Sandra McDevitt. Let's take a look at headlines. The Kansas City Chiefs are speaking out following the deadly shooting at their championship parade yesterday, expressing true sadness at the senseless act of violence. During his Ash Wednesday general audience yesterday, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to treat Lent as an opportunity to pray more fervently for peace, and he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues, focusing on the sin of acedia. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute. We've been getting mini theology of the body lessons based on their K-12 through theology of the body curriculum called Revealed. Courtney, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine and happy to talk to you this morning. We've been looking at the fourth grade curriculum, and you mentioned in a previous uh, episode that uh, starting in this time, you there's more of a focus in the curriculum on scripture. So instead of two picture books to unpack the themes and ideas of theology of the body, there's a picture book, but then a lot of focus on scripture. And in fourth grade, you focus in on, on the book of Genesis. So to start out our conversation today, Courtney, can you talk about how important the book of Genesis is when it comes to the theology of the body for John Paul II? Sure. So this is a really, a really important concept. In fact, in junior high, uh, when I used to teach that in high school, I used to start 
all of my theology of the body sessions with the validity of Genesis. And I would make a bold claim, something as simple as, it did happen. Now, whether or not all the facts and details, but that's not even necessarily where I would go. I would talk to them about the power of story, and that the idea that, like, we remember things and deep truths based on depictions of those truths through story. And I would give them a whole story like the using imagery of my wedding day when I would talk, when I saw my wife walk down the aisle. And I use all these imagery like the sun coming in as if time stopped. None of those things actually happened because if it did, we'd be dead. But <laughs> the, the, the reality was is that I drew them into this experience of a reality that did happen. So Genesis, we, we do have original parents. And the word Adam means first man, right? And then Eve, mother of living. So the, the idea that Adam is not just some friend I have across the street. It's like, although he was, I did have a friend named Adam across the street where I grew up, but it, this is a representation of man's story. So the Genesis is, is a linchpin in our whole salvific, salvific history. Mm-hmm. So with the students here, we, we do draw them in back into the story of Genesis and then the connections that are made to Jesus. So in the four, this particular grade level, we kind of let them start to reflect back on original solitude, that whole Scripture passage where God creates man, right, and breathes his life into him, right, his spirit. And from there, there's actually, in one of John Paul's early audiences, I think it was number four, but he talks about when, you know, you look at the six days of creation, He says there was a halt when it came to man, and there's a key word there, us. And when he's creating the animals and the days and the realm, he never uses that word, us. So he says, let us make light. Let there be light. Or he creates the animals. Right. So when it gets to Genesis 126, he says, let us. And John Paul II calls it a halt, like he stops. And Father Brian Bransfield, in his book on the human person, according to John Paul II, calls it a divine pause. He calls it a pause. And in that pause, we see the Lord kind of show a deep reflection within himself and how he's going to create man. So the spirit that he blows into us to create that life is a blueprint of who he is. So we see Adam when he's in his original solitude. There's a certain type of recognition of his self-determination, that he's made for God, and he's not alone in the sense that he's lonely, but that he starts to recognize in the naming of the animals and walking through the garden that in a way I'm made for something deeper or more. And that's that interior relationship, which Jesus reveals to us, I mean, God reveals to us at that time that he is, uh, he's in relationship, so he's a trinity. So we have the students think through that and, and kind of think through that. And then the connection made to how Christ reveals who the Trinity is, and that the Trinity is, and God himself, is an exchange of persons, of an interior relationship with each other. So, and the way we talk about it through the JPC lens is that the thought, this idea of selfless gift, and remember, in the beginning of the fourth grade lessons, we talk about authentic love, but that the, the Father loves the Son, the Son receives that love, and in that receptivity, is showing him selfless gift. But that love and exchange between the Father and the Son is a person. Mm. It is the third person of the Trinity. I know this is real deep, but for the kids, where we start to make those connections is we start showing them scripture passages, specifically in John, you know, fifteen and thirteen, where we, you know, he's in the Last Supper for that 
that whole end of that gospel there mm-hmm. from John 13 on, that we have them reflect on how Christ himself is revealing who he is as the Son of God, and that, that he's made for selfless gift. And that this is the interesting thing. When Adam awakes in this original unity, and he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, Yes, it's a very marital imagery for sure, don't get me wrong, but for these kids, obviously not getting married. But the idea of Adam recognizing that he was made to be in this external change of love, even here on Earth, but that all points to our our essential destiny. So we have them reflect on the original solitude. They go into the next lesson, into this original unity, making these connections between Christ and Genesis, and then our destiny, right? So I know this kind of fast, but... It brings, kind of so much, it brings so much more um, clarity, I think, to when, you know, you, you mentioned how, how God had that divine pause. And after all of the, the creation, um, he would say, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then, man, it is very good. And then the first time he says it is not good is that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. Mm-hmm. And if he's created in the image and after the likeness of God, he must be in community. That's correct. And that's the that's the key point there that one I would say one of the biggest problems kids face today, right, when we look at their anxiety, the number of people who say they feel alone and the social media and I'm not trying to down social media, but these things created to connect us is actually doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. It's making us more and more feel isolated because the medium is not in itself human. It's, it's technological, and it's controlled. It's, it's, it has people's—it's uh, financially based, right? They need to keep you on there, and they'll hold likes, and they'll hold messages back. It's, and so this idea of the human connection, this is a real good reflection for us, and this is why our curriculum is, you know, written, and we want the kids to, like, actually be around people when they learn this, is the idea of making that connection that we're made to be in these communities. And that, you know, one of the things that I have always felt was always important in, in a classroom, in a homeschool co-op, or even in a in a um, in a family. Is that idea of walking with each other and being present at those moments? So, like this, this these lessons as you walk through and you work through those questions, have the kids really reflecting on the idea that Christ Himself was born into a family. That the second person in the Trinity that's always existed, that's always been there. In the moment, eternity, you know, from all eternity, chose to become yes. human, and he moved himself into a family. So, even our God shows us that. Yeah. So. RuaWoodsInstitute.org. If you're a teacher or administrator, wants to look into the revealed curriculum, K through 12 curriculum, go check it out in RuaWoodsInstitute.org. Courtney Brown, thank you so much. No problem. God bless you. You too. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.